Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 158. The numbers keep going up. Uh, my name is Brando. Thanks for joining us for another cool episode. An- another show, I think we're going to talk to somebody that is going to shed light on a on the Guns N' Roses or perhaps Velvet Revolver universe that perhaps we haven't seen before. Now, we could talk to rock stars all the live long day, but I like that we when we talk to somebody who kind of uh, orbits, you know, they're, they're they're a rock star in their own right, but they kind of orbit being the 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 obvious uh, rock star per se. Uh, so before we get to speaking with uh, Mark Vachon, who uh, is uh, is our guest today, our my our co-host for the day, you may remember we've had him on a, a couple times, I believe. Ray Leslie from the Ray from the UK, uh, yeah, and and Ray I, I, is just a I don't want to. I don't want to pigeonhole you in saying you're, you're you're just a listener of the AFD show, but I mean you're just a regular dude, you know that that uh, yep. that loves uh, a lot of the bands that we love. You have a loaded tattoo, you know. Velvet Revolver is one of your favorite bands. Uh, yeah, definitely. And you are somebody who, just like any other listener who's been on this show, if you suggest a guest, you are allowed to co-host, and I think that just makes it fun and and, and another way to connect to the. The audience, and this time literally having one of them uh, on the air. So, uh, Ray, as we as we talk to Mark, just feel free to just be your your lovely UK self. Um, and and oh, I, I should say a happy anniversary to to you. You just celebrated uh, with your with your wife. How long has it been? I did. Guys? Yeah, I just uh, our anniversary was actually yesterday. Uh, that's two years. Oh. So it's still still fairly new, but uh, no, it's gone in quick. All right, Mazel Tov. Yeah. <laughs> Have you been uh, to any uh, shows lately? I don't know if they've um, obviously GNR did just some dates here in, in the South in the U.S. But have you been to any any worthy uh, anything worthy to mention, whether it be GNR uh, or not? Well, I've not I've not actually been to a show since Slash, which which I did some live videos for you. But yeah. tomorrow night I'm actually going to see Tyler Bryant in the Shakedown. Uh, they're playing here in my hometown of Inverness. Um, they're playing tomorrow night. Oh, very yeah, cool! Along with Airborne. Oh, awesome! That's great. Uh, we've had uh, Tyler Bryant and then Graham Whitford, uh, son of Bradley Whitford from Aerosmith, both on the on the show. So w- w- those are, are rock stars, though. And you had just a great idea to interview this person who made the, I guess, the, who makes the design, who makes the attire, makes the clothes for the rock star. Uh, that is Mark Vachon, and, and Mark. Uh, for, hey, I guess welcome. And, and how do I refer to you as? You said the creator of all things badass. What was the uh, the unofficial <laughs> title? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, maker of cool shit. <laughs> maker of cool shit. That's awesome. Right. You know, I mean, the, people refer to it's like, are you a designer? Well, yeah, technically, I guess that's what it is. But I don't have a, a formal uh, background in, you know, schooling for this type of thing. So. And I've always liked to make cool shit, so 
No, I like it, and I I think it's it's really appropriate. You are the maker of cool shit, and thank you. It, you know, it's something that Ray and I were talking about before I, I reached out to you and asked you to be on the show. Is the attire Velvet Revolver would wear? You know, it's 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 really it's interesting for me to be talking to you right now because it's not just for Guns and Roses, but for Velvet Revolver as well. It's not just, it wasn't just the Thank music; you. it was the look. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, it came about very naturally. Um, they were shooting, they were doing the cover of uh, Contraband, and I went by there with a friend of mine. I just so happened to have some stuff in the car, and uh, and you know they were they were doing band shots, and I said, uh, "Is this what you guys are going to wear?" And you know it was very. It, Say it like it was. It looked like they had just went shopping at Urban Outfitter, <laughs> and I was like, "This, this isn't, you know, uh, this isn't, this isn't like super rock star." Um, so I brought in some things, and and you know, everybody kind of gravitated towards it, and uh, you know, it worked out really well. Um, we had a great time that day, and it just kind of took off from there. You know, before we even get to that, that's kind of seminal moment of your life, we should kind of backtrack, I would think, because, uh, you know, I've talked about how, you know, and, and what made me want to get into into radio, and it's kind of interesting because uh, perhaps somebody else can relate to that moment in life where you're trying to figure out what you want to do. So how do you get there, what you're suggesting in your, your dressing Velvet Revolver? You know, where did you grow up, and w- were you doing that as a as a kid? Were you putting you know leather jackets on your your Ninja Turtle figures? What we like? How did you get into into design? <laughs> so what happens is, uh, twelve, thirteen years old, we have a club uh, that was in town called the Starwood, and Van Halen started out there, Quiet Riot, Motley Crue. Uh, so around the time I started going out to clubs. You know, bands like the Germs and Black Flag were playing. Um, Rodney on the Rockets started to become a thing. And uh, quickly, I want to say hello to Ray, and, and thank you very much for thinking of me and suggesting me. That means a lot to me. Oh, no problem, man. You are uh, quite a big part of uh, my childhood, just with the look of the bands and stuff that I was really into. I was kind of, you know, they, I was always drawn to the sort of rock star look, and Velvet Revolver oh. were the perfect, sort of, per- perfect band for that. Thank you so much. That's so cool. Um, yeah, so, it, you know, from a pretty young age, it, uh, we we just, we, we got into the punk rock. And, and once you're into the punk rock, you kind of, you have this attitude of, uh, you know, fuck everybody. And it just comes with it. And that's just how it is, you know. It's, uh, we started developing this attitude and, and you know, the kids in the neighborhood, uh, we started going shows and and this was like 13 um i had a friend of mine who was a neighbor uh he was about nine years old you know he and his brother uh, steven and louis metz uh we ended up forming this little band called mad society which had a huge impact in a very short amount of time um and so part of the answer to your question is uh you know, we we started going out and hanging around the clubs, and this was right around the time the germs were starting to break. Uh, Rodney on the Rock is starting to play these bands, and this is how we're finding out about it. Um, you know, just getting, like, first real taste of the Ramones. 
and the Sex Pistols, you know, 79. We were young, so we came around a little bit later, you know, compared to a lot of the other people. But uh, the Ramones, the Sex Pistols, the Germs, of course, you know, we had the Plugs, the Weirdos, Black Flag, all these great bands in L.A. And listening to the Ramones just kind of made us go, we can fucking do this. We need to make a band. And, uh, you know, the energy just, it, it was just like, well, what are you, you going to do? You're going to play drums. You're going to sing. You're going to play bass. And at that point we were so young and, and naive and just like, you know, it didn't matter who did what and how good you were. And, you know, we were going to put together a band and within six months we put together a band uh and we were rehearsing in my drummer's garage which was uh, behind pioneer chicken on sunset right by guitar center and uh you know it wasn't a year until we were booking shows and uh we're playing clubs like the starwood and i couldn't even tune my fucking guitar you know and, and we're playing gigs it, I, I had to have my friends tune my guitar for me it didn't even matter and it was just it was a great time, you know. It was a beautiful thing. That was um, that was punk rock. That's what it was supposed to be, you know. Obviously, Sid Vicious couldn't play at all. Right, it was just exactly. What he, I was right. going to say so. Right, <laughs> it's just what he, he he looked like. And and being a New Yorker, I mean, the Ramones always have a special place in my heart. And yeah, they made it very tangible, even for for me. Like anybody, you can look like anything and just throw on a yeah. leather jacket and just be a fucking badass, oh, yeah. you know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. These guys really, they were the ones for us who really just, it, it was okay to be yourself and, you know, get out there and just do your thing. And, and so we did that. And uh, Darby had just come back from the UK. And I guess Darby had just gone over there and found Adam in the ass. And so when it, it had a big influence on him. So when he returned home, all of a sudden he's coming out with a mohawk and a kilt on. And, you know, this look that he put together was just fucking, I, I can't even, you know, like, it was insane. It was amazing, and it was crazy. He looked like, you know, Mickey Six had a mohawk that was like a, a foot tall, and uh, actually, I, I don't want to get into it, but uh, he just looked amazing. Okay. I mean, he, he came back a fucking rock star, and we everybody was just, you know, some of us got it. The older guys were like, what the fuck's wrong with this guy? But, you know, for us, it was like, wow, this is cool, and... Uh, the kid that ended up singing for my band was, you know, he was nine at the time. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, you know, it was just, we thought it was all right and it was all good and we did it. We just went for it. So, you know, he, he looked like Travis Bickle. He shaved his fucking head. He had a mohawk. You know, the kid's running around with like a, a fucking foot-long switchblade, you know, and, and it was just, uh, nobody he, said anything to him. And he's nine? <laughs> Nine, nine to ten. Oh my god! And, and this was, Jesus. yeah, this was going down, and uh, you know, and, and so we, from that point on, it was just kind of like, where can we get some leather? How can we make a loincloth? Uh, how can we make some wristbands? How can we, you know? And then we, you know, we started making moccasins, and then from there it was, uh, you know, that was a thing, and I mean, personally for myself, um. You know, it's hard because it was a great time from, from about 79 to 81 where a lot of amazing stuff happened. Um, but to answer your question, you know, regarding the fashion, for me, it, it just it felt like a natural thing. It wasn't, I, I fucking always hated sewing. You know, I was never interested in, in it. Like, I wouldn't want anything to do with a sewing machine. Um, I was playing guitar. I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to tour. And, you know, uh, 
it took a minute before, you know, my friends started getting major record deals and taking off and, you know, any of that, that, that wasn't really an idea. It was just more about just being in a cool band and getting Rodney to play your song. And we were able to do that. Uh, you know, we started getting the good gigs. Um, I don't know. I mean, the parlay from there, you know, into the next thing, rock and roll, things started kind of switching up. What was it like, uh, early eighties to the mid eighties, you know, there was a big influence with Iron Maiden and Motorhead. And we started shifting and gearing more towards like a metal infused, like punk rock, you know, type of scene, I think. So I'm assuming that, uh, helped shape, you know, you making certain things like you were talking about how making moccasins or, or cutting your hair a certain way. Would you say you're, it just sounds like it started from doing it a, a DIY, do it yourself. It wasn't like absolutely you, you weren't set out to say, "Hey, I want to do this. I want to make rock and roll clothes." It was like it was because no one else uh, you wouldn't buy your clothes from a store. That wouldn't be punk rock. You know, you had to make your own you know, stuff. And and the thing was, you know, we we had Melrose and we had uh, Sunset and we had a couple of shops. You know, in the beginning, it was a place called Poser where you would go to get, like, your punk rock spike bracelets and your belts and stuff. Appropriately um, named. You know? And <laughs> and then we had a couple places on Melrose uh, that, that were cool, too. And, you know, we had a place in Beverly Hills called Fiorucci that was more of, like, your new wave, you know, nothing really about what we were trying to find at the point. But uh, that, that's exactly what it was. It was, it was really DIY at that point. It was like... Uh, you know, we were taking our dickies, we were straightening them ourselves, we were pegging them ourselves, we were sewing them by hand, you know, we were, uh, and, and that's that's what that was. Like, I didn't know anybody that, that had a sewing machine or tailored, and I wasn't interested. It was like, how can I do this? And, I, you know, I'm going to get them. I, I need it this way now. Tonight, I'm going out. I want it to look this way. How can I do it? Oh Yeah, okay. You know? That makes perfect sense. Was there any... Was there a moment where it went from necessity until you made something and you're like, you know what, that's really cool. And and perhaps you, all your friends or other people in other bands like, you know what, I want one too. Can you make me one? Was there something that where it maybe clicked for you instead of it just went from I'm making my clothes to, you know what, maybe I have something here. So, you know, so what happened was um, around the time of like Jane's Addiction and White Zombie and uh, Smashing Pumpkins, when when everybody was kind of going to Caroline and putting out their first little EPs and getting a little bit more recognition uh, and a little more commercial, uh, you know, we had a band called Funhouse. And we, uh, around Hollywood, you know, the Chili Peppers came out of Hollywood. And, and I grew up with uh, with Jamie Slovak, which is Hillel's brother, the first guitar player mm. in the Chili Peppers. Right. And, uh, and, you know, Jamie was a sweet kid, funny guy. Um, Hillel was amazing, amazing guitar player, man. That guy really laid the groundwork for, for, you know, John and for all the guys that came after him. Um, but I've seen, I've seen a lot of stuff. I've seen a lot of stuff in, you know, I'm here right now in Hollywood. So I, I I'll say in this town where I think a lot of people are able to come and grab stuff you know, and, and run with ideas, but I really feel it in my DNA, and I've tried to get away from here so many times, and I always end up back here. Mm. Um, so what happened was, you know, I put together this band, and it was called Funhouse, and it was, 
you know, we were, it was, it, I don't know, you could look it up and listen to it and check it out, but it, the look was, um, it was punk inspired. It was a little brighter than that. It was, uh, you know, it was a lot of velvet with patchwork and Dr. Martens and, you know, and we had this fight with the record companies because they were, you know, we, we talked to Warner brothers, they gave us money, they put us in the studio. And then when it came back to go to all the, you know, they ran it up the flagpole at their meeting. They said, we don't know what to do with these guys. We already have a James addiction. We already have a chili peppers. We, you know, where are we going to put it? What are we going to do with it? And so, uh, you know, long story short is the record didn't end up at Warner brothers that day, but you know, what did happen was I started making these hats these velvet hats, uh, early eighties, you know, and, and what had happened was my singer, Chris, his wife had a clothing company. Uh, she was doing stuff similar to lip service. And Drew was a great friend of mine, Drew Bernstein, that owned lip service. He passed away, you know, God bless him and everything. Um, but anyhow, you know, Drew was the closest thing to, to kind of, what it is that you're talking about and that I wanted to do. And, you know, uh, Drew made the dagger uh, pants that like Axel wore in the early days and all that stuff with the weird printing on it, war and all, you know, that stuff. Like that was all from lip service. Um, so, you know, I, I started just making pieces for myself in Funhouse. Um, we, we were fortunate enough to put out a record with Caroline. We got to do a video um, and, and it was great. It was really cool. You know, we, we did pretty well. We got some exposure with that. Um, and yes, then the phone started ringing and people were coming to me and, and I was running into people on the streets all the time. Where'd you get that hat? Where'd you get that hat? Will you make me one? And so I did start doing it. And, um, and the way I did it was I borrowed a sewing machine from a girlfriend and I just, we had no YouTube and I just fucking figured out, you know, <laughs> how do I make this thing so and um, and I started sewing up hats. And the funny thing about it is, you know, they, they look like they were ran over by a tractor or dragged <laughs> by the back of your car and halfway falling apart because I didn't know how to stitch the fucking machine the right way. And everybody loved it. And I, I can't even tell you how many of those things I made and sold, you know? <laughs> I, I just, I just kind of never looked back. And, um, and, and the natural progression is to get into doing clothing. And it didn't happen like that, you know? We... My wife and I, we opened a little hat shop in Silver Lake, uh, Jesus Christ, almost 25 years ago, mm. you know, and, and um, we had a great time there and a lot of really cool experiences. And uh, it just, you know, I met my, who uh, became my partner, this guy named Johnny Ho. He was in a band called uh, Green Jello. Oh, okay. You know, him and I, uh, we did great things together. And that's how, you know, Mark Bashan started the company. Um, actually my wife, you know, we used to call it something else. And, and I, I always thought like, if I had my name on it, it would be too serious and I don't want to do that. And so, uh, she goes, you know, look, why don't you quit fucking around with this already and, and take it seriously, you know, and, and do it for real. And I'm like, well, uh, you know, and at some point that happened. Um, and you know, we shifted gears. I mean, a part of that is, is uh, you know, we had a, li a lot of life-changing experiences happen around 1994, 5, 6, 7, when Kurt passed away. Okay. You know, a, a lot of shit changed in the world back then. How, Do you remember how, that time? Of course. I, I 
I mean, that's kind of my wheelhouse growing up. I remember in middle school, uh, I was in middle school <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. when that was announced. Uh, no, that was, I'm a grunge kid. I'm literally wearing a flannel right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm curious, because for me, that, like, I had never heard anything like that before, and that's what really I, I, I was attracted to, you know, right away, was uh, that grunge era, that grunge rock star look but when i discovered yeah. guns and roses it was a mix of of a couple things that i did love i did like hair metal i did like that glam but there was something yeah. you know i wanted to be more down earth more beaten up kind of like how the grunge like it was kind of right. like how grunge looked like they didn't care i wanted to yeah. i wanted you to look like you cared a little bit yeah, <laughs> i yeah. wanted a little <laughs> method to the madness uh not to do like you just woke up you know kind, kind of thing right. uh so but how did that affect you because you're talking and we spoke about it a little bit off the air that i've interviewed uh some of your friends on the show one being you know josh lewis and you know right. I, obviously that that's the era for you so one what i guess what changed and that changed obviously a lot of people's uh lives that when nirvana and grunge came out musically especially if they're in bands that that didn't survive very few uh well i guess maybe now in 2019 with all the reunions you know Poison and, and Motley Crue, it doesn't matter. But there was a time right. where there were no survivors and really in hair metal. Uh, and so how did it change for you? Did, because people weren't perhaps buying what you were uh, putting together or it changed your 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 palette of what you could make and, and did make? How did, it, how did Kurt's... Or is it my, am I overthinking it? Is it something else? That's no. a, or is it more obvious? How did Kurt's death, you know, I guess, uh, affect you? I mean... Part of, I think, what happened was uh, I just remember, you know, getting back to Guns N' Roses, uh, they were they started playing around town, um, and, and this is backtracking a little bit, you know. Uh, they started playing around town. They got their deal, uh, you know, and, and as I was mentioning before, I, I grew up with Mark Kanner. I grew up with Josh Lewis, and these are all kids from the neighborhood. So to us, you know, these are these are just like your neighbors and people that you can see around all the time. Um, I went to school with Slash and Tracy Guns and uh, and Flea. You know, Flea was a little bit older than us, but uh, you know, everybody from the same area. Oh, so then you I, know? Uh, not, sorry to interrupt, but then you know Marcel Circus. I I know her from when we were younger. She used to jam with people that I knew. Okay, because she's been on the show and she went to high school with all of them. So I'm. And, and I've said yeah. this before. I think I said this to Dave Kushner. There needs to be like a, a Netflix show about that high right. school, you know, about Fairfax High School. This, it's just incredible. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, 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 no worries. It's, um, you know, so uh, there was a, it feels like there's a lost period of time where a lot of stuff did happen. What comes to mind for me is, is when was this? 91, somewhere around 91, 92, when I... When the Funhouse EP came out, that was the time when, like, grunge was really blowing up. So we would go up to Portland and Seattle to play, and it was very weird. Like, if you were from L.A. at that time, you were pretty much, you know, it wasn't cool to be from L.A. at that time. Like, Seattle was really starting to blow up again. Um, you know, this was right around the time of, like, all those bands were just on fire. You know, Nirvana had put out uh, Bleach or some singles before that. I remember going to seeing them at the Palladium, the Hollywood Palladium. By the time Bleach came out, they were already like, they were well on the way, you know. Mm -hmm. 
And, um, and, and so for me, it really didn't have an effect on, on what I was doing. And, and I think this is the, the great thing about being into, to quote fashion is, you know, music, uh, has a lot to do with what's cool and what's going on. I mean, you can always put on a flannel. It doesn't fucking matter who's cool, who's not cool, what's cool. What's not. You can put on a pair of 501s. You can, you can, you know, wear them a certain way. You can put on a pair of Dr. Martens. It doesn't matter what fucking time it is, you know, and you're always going to be okay. So, or a pair of Chucks and a pair of Levi's and a leather jacket, like you said. Right. There's never going to be a time where there's, that's not cool. So... I, I think, you know, without even really paying attention to it, I just kind of veered off into um, in, into that kind of a realm where it was like, okay, I'm going to do, you know, one of the things I figured out early on is this. I go, look, you can't see what a guy's fucking wearing on a record. And, and you know, I, I use all these words when I post stuff, and a lot of them are stupid, <laughs> you know, be yourself and lifestyle and this and that, but it's all true, man. Like if, if you're not, you know, I'm, I believe like I'm the guy that wears during the day what I would wear on stage or if I come meet you, if I'm doing an interview, I'm wearing, you know, Taylor Dickies with a pair of Vans and a black t-shirt and, you know, I have a black hat on. This is what I wear every fucking day. If I'm going to a wedding, if I'm going to a funeral, if I'm going to a dinner, you know, that's, I've always believed in that. Like, okay, you know, if you're going to an event, and you want to be respectful, you put on a blazer or whatever it is. And, you know, yeah, obviously. But so part of what I bring is, is who I am. And that's how I've always done it. And so it made it very easy when uh, Scott, you know, I, I mentioned this to you before. Anyhow, you know, I'll say it again. Scott was already buying my pants before I met him. Okay. Boutique, a little boutique over on Beverly Boulevard. And, uh, which was great, man. It was really cool. Dave Kushner, I grew up with. I've known him since we're, we're kids. You know, again, 12, 13 years old, probably younger. Um, I remember when he started playing guitar and, and, you know, went to MIT and whatever and all this stuff. But uh, so for the relationship with Scott and VR, it all came very naturally. And, and after uh, kind of being acquainted with him through that, that meeting when they were shooting the record cover... Uh, it was like, oh, you're the guy. I already have your pants. I already have them. Hey, I, you know, I'm really into Iggy Pop. I'd love some silver leather pants. Oh, dude, no problem. Just, you know, I'll bring, uh, bring my guy over. We'll measure you up. And he's like, well, I got a video coming up for the record, and it'd be great to have them to wear it. And, uh, you know, I had to go meet him. Something happened to him. And all of a sudden, where is he? He's in a rehab up in Malibu. You got to go meet him there. What the fuck? So, you know, so I drive out there and, and so this is uh Brando. This is where I said, you know, it's like I show up in Malibu. I, I go to the office, ask for this dude. He comes out, fires up a cigarette, starts telling me this story. That's like, what the, f you know, I'm like, Hey buddy, how's it going? What's going on? What's, uh, what do you want to do? What are your thoughts and ideas? And, you know, he just went, went into this crazy story about how, wow, you got, uh, what, what is it, American Idol? And you got all these kids that are making it off these TV shows. I, I'm like, how do you think the band's going to do with you and Slash and Duff and Matt Storm and, like, the next fucking bombastic rock band to ever come off the planet? Ah, the chances of us making it are about 50-50. <laughs> I was like, huh? 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? It, so, it's, that's incredible for him to, I don't know, to have to be that un, unsure about something and, that, and, that, was a, that ended up being a sure thing. So, you know, so I, I was looking at him, he's looking at me, and I'm going, this guy can't be for real, you know? And uh, I've had a lot of those type of experiences in my life, and it's like, you know, it, it's... Uh, I, I don't know. I like to use the word interesting because, you know, not good, not bad. It's interesting. I mean, you're standing there with Scott Weiland. He's telling you he's not sure that his band is going to, you know, do, it might not happen. And uh, and I'm up there trying to fit him, you know, for silver leather pants. Um, you know, and then, and then, then cut to the video shoot downtown. And, uh, you know, we're, we're at like 7th and Alameda and they're in this dingy ass building and they have it all set up and, you know, the extras are there, they're shooting the song, and the energy is just on fire, you know? And then, you know, cut to MTV, uh, dial MTV or whatever it was at the time, and that video is like number one. And we're talking about Slither, of course. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so uh, that's, it was a very short, fast ride with that band where, you know, uh, it was really natural, and it was it was amazing to be a part of it. I knew all those guys, um, you know, and and I had I had never met Matt Storm before. You know, he was cool, um, but I I knew Dave, I knew Slash, I had met Duff, and uh, and Scott. You know, so it was all like Scott Weiland at some point wanted to do a clothing line. We were going to do a clothing line together, and you know, just it. I, I don't. He wasn't focused enough to be able to do it, and. You know, part of it is uh, I don't party anymore, and, and I'm very focused on what I do. So, you know, when when somebody says they're going to do something, and I understand you're busy, you know, but at least you touch base with me and give me an idea. It's only when it's in a situation where you have a guy that's like a Scott Weiland or a Fred Durst or, or somebody who, like, you can't, you know, well, who are you going to put up against these guys? Yeah, yeah. A couple interesting things in there uh, with with Vel- with Scott with Velvet Revolver. You know, I don't think I've ever seen like because he was already a rock star at that point. But it's like right. he he reinvented himself physically. Absolutely, I, I, I mean, he looked totally different. He he did. I mean, I, I hope all of it wasn't uh, just the drugs, and I, I mean that just as far as uh, being a skinnier guy. But when right. he was in STP, he would dress grunge. He would have longer hair. But with Velvet, it really, in, in that video that you dressed him for, Slither, that really wasn't a reintroduction of Scott Weiland, this new. And that's what made it feel like a new band in a way, that it wasn't just this STP GNR hybrid. It was like, you know, it was like a nice fresh coat of paint on, on, on everything. <laughs> You know, I mean, he was able to, and, and I don't know where he got this from, but he was able to, you know, take Sid Vicious, Iggy Pop, uh, Red Cross, James Addiction, throw it all in a fucking blender, put the outfit on, come out, and, and now you have Superman, who is exactly what we fucking needed at the time, because, you know, there was no exciting rock and roll band coming out of anywhere doing something like that. And for myself... You know, I knew, I knew, like I knew the people that worked with them. And, uh, and one of the quotes was, you know, this could be lightning in a bottle, who knows? 
And it was, man. It was it was fucking lightning in a bottle. I mean, it either was going to be or it wasn't going to be. And the odds of it not being were, you know, that it wasn't an option. You know, I'm curious. Were you the one? Because I guess when you think about that era uh, of Scott Weiland, you think about those hats, those kind of mm-hmm. pilot kind of hats or... Right. Uh, was that your suggestion you're doing? Because that was something he, he never did before, as far as I know. You know, I don't know where he got that. I mean, Axel, you know, Axel was doing that hat, like, way back in the day. Sure, the, the cop then, hat, sure. Yeah, and then Tammy, Tammy's been doing that hat forever. True. That's a pussycat. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where he got that, but... This guy's ideas of putting outfits together were fucking brilliant because I would just basically, I would create the palette and I would bring the palette and then they would figure, they would put it together. And I never seen that guy in a bad outfit that he, you know, he put together. And the funny thing is like, like I said, growing up, you know, I got put into sewing in seventh grade and first day in sewing, I went in there and, you know, teacher at the time was like an older lady and uh, I sit down at the sewing machine, and before she can open open her mouth, I turn the thing on and crank the pedal down, and, and she starts yelling her head off, get out of here! You know, she kicks me out. So, I mean, I, I had no desire whatsoever to, to sew or, you know. The only reason I learned how to sew was because you have to put the fabric together somehow. Otherwise, you're going and, on stage and, naked. You know, you need something. To you know that. what I'm saying? I mean, I, you <laughs> yeah. know, it wasn't, it wasn't like I aspire to, to make these evening gowns and ball gowns. It's absolutely <laughs> tremendous, you know, fabulous. You no, know, I was never that fucking guy. But, you know, I, I kind of believe that if, if it's your clothing line with your name on it, you should probably be able to make, you know, some somehow you should be able to build something of it. Um. So and and I like you know I like putting stuff together like that so it was kind of a natural thing for me, but uh, it was never really you know an, an intention to to uh, to get into fashion. If it wasn't for YouTube, I wouldn't have learned ninety five percent of the shit that I learned. You know. <laughs> well, it, <laughs> it's still. I mean, it, it's great, and I think it it shows a path that other people can go on because it's not like everybody could. That goes to school for it, or can even afford to go to school for it. Uh, you can right. just have the natural talent, and you don't need to also have it forced upon you. And saying, you know, maybe this is this is going to be my life path, and these are going to be what this is right. what I'm going to be accom- uh, have accomplished. These are this is what I'm going to do for a career. You kind of just fell into it along the way, and look look what it's done for you. I mean, I honestly thought. You know, playing music and being in a band, uh, we just came from the, the uh, you know, the, the whole path of like, you know, first, who was it first? I mean, back, 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 you had like Van Halen and I was too young, you know, to, to see how they had gotten signed or whatever. That didn't mean anything to me. And, and Quiet Riot, you know, they came before us. Um, by the time I got to go into the clubs when I was like 12, 13 years old, it was punk rock. So, I mean, for me, it, it has always been the approach of like, how can I do this myself? How can I make it myself? Mm. Okay, I can't make that many of them. I need to subcontract it out and figure it out. And, and it's only because, you know, if I wouldn't have like stopped partying and shit, I, you know, I wouldn't have been able to put 
two thoughts together and been focused enough to do it. But, sure. you know, and at the same time, like I have friends uh, that had done serious clothing stuff. They started in their garage and they were able to grow it into these really big things. But uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to be in a band. I'm going to be a rock star. And uh, we were very difficult, you know, when we were younger. And, and being an artist, I'm sure we can all agree, you know, that uh, artists aren't born accountants. No. And when no. you have a vision, yourself, you know, included, when you have a vision, you have a particular vision, uh, you you kind of want to see it go down that way. And uh, our vision was, you know, these motherfuckers are getting paid a lot of money. And, you know, mine, we're 20, you know, 20 years old. And it's like, all we care about is this band got paid that much money. So we we should definitely be getting paid that much money. And when, you know, let alone the fact when you have labels offering you anything, you should be a little grateful that anybody even cares. Right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I can tell you crazy fucking stories where, you know, we went to major executives' houses and a uh, guy answers the door in his underwear and he wants us to come in and do blow with him. And I look at my singer, I'm like, dude, you know, this just is, it's not my idea of a good time. <laughs> and, and it did it, it sounds like boogie out. nights. It sounds like boogie nights. It, it, I swear to God, it, it was exactly like that. You know? <laughs> Fair enough. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I don't even want, like, I'm not taking one for the team, my team, your team, any team. Fuck this. I'm out of here. <laughs> Screw you guys. I'm going home. <laughs> you know, so I mean, it, it's, <laughs> you know, we, we passed a lot of great opportunities, I might say. <laughs> ah, great being subjective. Let's call them what right. you said, your peewee word of the day. Interesting. They were interesting exactly. experience. Uh, well, you know, I mean, if I'm wearing a Speedo and you're coming to my house, turn around and go the other way. Like, A, you don't want to see that. And B, like, if I'm doing that to you, something's wrong. Like, you know. No, there's... Anyway. <laughs> Close the robe. If, if anything, just hide yeah. the Speedo underneath the robe. Uh, what talking about? Did you... The, when did you find out that Scott bought your clothes because you said it was prior to Velvet was was Scott the first uh, rock star and I use that word I guess as someone who is universally known uh, to buy right. your stuff or who was the first one to, to buy a piece of, your, piece of your clothing and you're like whoa you know I think the first the first real exposure for me was when my band did t-shirts in the very beginning um, we did fun house t-shirts and and uh, my girlfriend at the time had these little napkins and they had party clowns on them. And, and I just, I copied the clown onto uh, the back of a denim vest and I put a logo and then like this started going around cat house and it started getting a little momentum. And then I printed a t-shirt and, uh, and when I would print them white and then I would paint them, you know, with acrylic paint by hand and do all the colors in. Mm. So I put together a bag of these shirts. I went down to cat house, Flash was there. And I gave him a shirt. He wore it in a, uh, you know, it was a hit parade or something like this. A full page comes out, and he's sitting there wearing a Funhouse shirt. And that was my first real taste of, like, holy fuck. You know? Okay. And so that that was really cool. Um, You know, around that same time, I, I was making the hats. I was putting them in a couple of stores. And Steven Tyler pops up on the cover of Hit Parader, and he's wearing one of my Apple hats. It's black with uh, with yellow flannel, like, star pattern on the top. So he's wearing that on the cover of the magazine. And I'm going, holy fuck. So every time that happens, it's just like anything. You just want more of it. 
Sure. I totally so that was that. a very that was the beginning and it, and it wasn't even me going after these guys I mean TLC that that rap you know the girls sure uh, uh, Boz, left yeah. eye and chili I know <laughs> there I was putting hats in uh, this little place uh, by the Beverly Center or something we had they went in there you know again boom it pops up in a video and they're getting like you know millions of people are watching it. And it just kind of took on its own leg. Wow. Uh, I got put in touch with LL Cool J, and it wasn't even a matter of, like, genre per se or, like, what, you know, what people do I want wearing the stuff. It was just a matter of, like, me getting it in stores, and it gravitated towards certain people, and it just started appearing on TV and in magazines and, and the press. You know, I've been really blessed. And, and all, again, with the DIY roots, which has just got to... You know, continuously, and you could tell just by how humble you are, and how not just in this conversation, but our our private ones, and it's it continues to amaze you. Uh, and it's, I don't know, it, I think that's that's special. You know, that in, instead of just kind of taking the the typical route to get to right. to achieve what you've achieved, but to kind of do it the the unexpected way and and get the all these rewards. Now, I, I'm I'm curious with someone like with Slash that you went to school with, or or mm-hmm. Flea. Were, was there ever like, hey, guys, you know me, do you mind wearing? Or they kind of just came to you? Because if you if you went to school with some of these guys, like Dave Kushner, and right. they, they were reintroduced to you, I guess, during Velvet Revolver, and say, oh, because your stuff fits Slash well. It, it, sound, it looks like stuff that he has kind of always worn, but just, so, you know, like... You know, he, I mean, he, he and I... Uh, We've always been really, really good friends from the neighborhood. And, uh, it, I mean, that's just the way it happened. Like, I, you know, I met him, I don't know if it was when he first moved over here from England or what. Like, we never talked about any of that stuff. But all of a sudden, there was a new kid in the neighborhood. And, uh, you know, what were we, 12, 13, 14 years old, riding bikes. And, and back then, it was all about, like, who who had the biggest balls, who was the craziest, who would do the craziest shit. And, I mean, one of the things I remember seeing that guy do was we were at 7-Eleven doing something, and somebody said something to him, and all of a sudden he was fighting with four guys, and he fucked them all up. <laughs> That's it was like, slash? Like, I don't know why I remember. Yeah, and we were, like, 14 years old, and somebody said, and he was not a violent guy at all. Like, right. I, I just remember one incident like that where it was like, what the fuck, and it never happened again. <laughs> well, so, well, I mean, you know. I'd like to think your reputation would precede you from that point uh, going forward that you kicked four guys' asses. I mean, he, well, that was him. And, and it was just like, from there, it was just kind of like, okay, uh, we had a place where we used to ride our bikes called the La Brea Tar Pits. And uh, Mark Hanner was able to document, which was kind of crazy at the time. We were young, and Mark always had a camera, and Mark... Really, Mark and Slash were buddies, but Mark was always like taking pictures of Slash doing stuff, which was kind of weird. But <laughs> you know what? It, it, at the end of the day, you know, he saw something in him when he met him, and uh, and it just, you know, he was right. Right. It worked um, out that he wasn't just a creepy stalker. Like he he knew Slash was going to be Slash before, but I, I, you got to well, I mean, th- <laughs> you got to think about though, it. like other people who photograph their friends, especially nowadays, where everybody's an Instagram right. star, taking a million pictures of them, and they end up being well, like the nobodies. You know, the cool thing, my daughter, my daughter's taking on photography, and um, 
she's 17 and she hangs out with her friends and, uh, and she's got her cameras with her all the time. And it's just, I think it's amazing because she'll always be able to look back on that, you know, and, and they always like anytime they go to a show or something, you know, they hit her up right away. It's when are the photos going to be ready? You know, they want to see it and everyone's excited and it's a thing, but, um, you know, back to what we were talking about, uh, you know, I mean, fortunately for me, do you know who Gina Gershon is? Sure, the actress. Right. Okay, so she... Yeah, she did a movie. Um, it was it was kind of a smaller movie. She was wearing my pants in it. She was in a band. Um, it was a really cool movie. I got to remember the name of it. I'm hmm. stuff, but, but uh, so, I, you know, I saw it, and I was like, holy fuck. You know, she just bought the pants in the same place Scott got them from. I never knew her or anything. Okay. But she's, you know, it, wearing the pants throughout the whole fucking movie. And it's like a huge thing. And so I have to go and find her management to get in touch with her, you know, to, to find out, like, how do we hook up? Like, how do I get her stuff? Um, and, and again, I mean, that was more me being a fan of hers and and kind of going holy shit like this is really cool let's do something now that you're already familiar with the brand um you know i i've been fortunate enough mariah carey i look at you know star magazine comes out there's a little article like what's hot who's hot what's hot and and she bought my pants at some boutique somewhere and Mariah Carey's wearing the stuff. Wow. And I swear to God, I had nothing to do with any of this shit. <laughs> you, you don't look at that. I wish things were so simple for, for everybody else. I mean, just think about it. Your, your stuff is that good. It's not like you're going out there door to door like a vacuum cleaner or a knife salesman. You know? <laughs> right. People are right. just finding it. And I think that's just fantastic. That's got to be so rewarding because the only thing that is selling them on their product is the product itself. That's it. Right? It's- you know, I mean, that it, it, what do I say other than, you know, it is what it is. Right. <laughs> with, with all, all compassion and passion. And I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's like this. It's like Flash plays the guitar every fucking day. That's all he does. That's what he does. He loves to do it. That's all he does. Like he, you know, he's been doing this ever since I remember him starting to play the guitar. And he's a great player. You know, I can say that from the perspective of knowing him, being his friend, watching him disappear. But we're all riding bikes, hanging out in the neighborhood, doing our thing, and then he just disappears and isolates. And then all of a sudden, three years later, he's a fucking phenomenal guitar player. Like, who even knew he was playing the guitar? Hmm. You know, and, and so that's how his approach, I, I think, it you know, at life or whatever, it just was like that. And ever since then, you know, it becomes like he, he just keeps going and going and going and going and is determined and it turns into where he is today. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I think I, I always knew and a lot of people always knew when they had their split, they went, when he went off and did VR and stuff that there would be a time when, you know, he would mend, mend fences with Axel and things would, you know, I don't think it was an easy one to do. There were certain things involved that had to, uh, you know, there was some movement that had to be done in a way where things made sense for everybody and, and it was a happy family again. And, you know, and that all happened and it worked out. I mean, it's great to see, you know, them be able to come back on that level. And the funny thing about it is you have everybody and their mother 
you know, throwing a reunion. I mean, I, <laughs> I can't wait for Rage Against the Machine. Right. You know, who else? Like, I can't, you know, tools put out the record. Or, and then God bless them, you know? I, know. I mean, take care of your families with some of that money. <laughs> I know. Motley Crue, uh, the Doobie Brothers getting back with Michael McDonald for their 50th anniversary. Uh, right. My Chemical Romance. It's just, it's a, I don't know, maybe everyone just saw how successful Not In This Lifetime has been, and they're like, whoa, people want to actually see rock and roll out there. And uh, let's, yeah, sometimes it's, you got to put some egos aside. Obviously, you're closer to the situation than I am. Uh, I'm, right. I'm sure you're just glad to see your friend in a good place again. I mean, you know, if the thing for me is, is since, you know, I understand how it all works, you have certain bands. Uh, that say one thing to get the fan to come out and pay to see them and they let a little time go by and then all of a sudden their stories start to evaporate and spin and then it's like, you know, I don't know. I mean, I see some reunions coming around where it's it's clearly a, a major cash grab and I'm just like, you know what, man? doesn't feel good to me. You know, and that's just me personally. It's like I'm a fan of music. I listen to music when I work. And and it makes me feel a certain way, you know. And if, if it's not making me feel good, I'm not listening to it. Um, but you know, some of the bands like Rage Against the Machine, I'm happy as hell. Like that band really stands for something. And if you know, we need that band right now. There's Agreed. some shit going on, and they need to fucking come out and blow it up. I know. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. I've been saying it for years. I think it's, it was cool what they did with uh, Be Real and, and Chuck D, but we need we need Zach screaming. We need him because, uh, yeah, there, there's too much shit going on and, and rage uh, for me growing up. You know, they really taught me about, you know, for my age group, political rock. That that was the band growing up that yeah. taught me about what's really going on. It was them and System of a Down. That, that's my era. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so I guess then for you, you know, having as, as close as you were to Velvet, you know, can you tell us uh, any any cool stories, any fun stories during that time? Because you know, just based uh, based upon the time that we've already been speaking, the the, the almost you know fifty minutes or so, uh, you yeah, obviously yeah. have I have a ton a ton of stories. So I'm curious, A, uh, Ray, do you have any questions? <laughs> uh, yeah, I do, yeah. yeah all right, so uh, it's okay. The floor is uh, yours. Go ahead. There was one, when Velvet Revolver first came came about, I was about 14, maybe 15. Uh, so I seem a little bit younger than you, Brando. But um, yeah, I remember being 14, 15, very impressionable. And there was one thing that stood out straight away was a certain jacket that Slash was wearing. Uh, and uh, it was the Velvet Revolver one with the flames going up the arms and the patches. Mm-hmm. And what mm-hmm. I wanted to know was, you know, was was that something Slash asked for? Or was that something you designed and just, you know, brought the idea to Slash himself? Or how did that work out? You know, I mean, the way that I've always seen it with him is... is uh... So we used to draw together when we were kids. You know, he would... Uh, I'm, talking, I'm talking 12, 13, 14 years old. He would stay over my house. And we, you know, we'd stay up all night, and and we would draw and come up with little characters and stuff. And then, you know, back when uh, it wasn't even called really tagging yet, people would graffiti around and whatever, you know, coming up with practicing letters and lettering and, and like I'm gonna practice my signature because one day I'm gonna be famous, you know. So you just all night long you're practicing all, you know, it's just stupid shit that we did. And and so I mean that it's kind of uh, he has a cool style. And I think I have a cool style. 
And it's never been really a matter. I don't have that kind of relationship with any of the people that I work with, to be honest, where, as a, you know, well, what, what would you like? And, you know, no, it's just kind of like, I, I guess if, if I approach it like this, it's like, I love art. You know, I yeah. don't, I don't smoke weed anymore. So it's very hard for me to finish a piece. Like I love painting, but my patients are or fucking horrible. Like I really, I literally, when I paint, I work with a blow dryer to paint, dry that fucking paint as fast as you can <laughs> keep moving. You know, so uh, that's how I paint my, you know, so I just gave away a trade secret. There you go to anybody who's wondering, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, you know, basically it's like this, like, like what do I think would be cool on a coat, you know? And then, uh, and, and I've never had him say no is what it is. No, never. I've never had him say no. I mean, he's worn everything that I've given him, um, you know, thank God. And, and luckily, and it's been cool. Um, I, I just, I, you know, I, I just honestly have to say like my, my relationship with him is kind of, you know, it's like a family member where he's a very, very sweethearted guy. There yeah. were times, there were times when it was hard to deal with him. Um, when he was married. Okay. And then that was it. But, but after, right. you know, it's, 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 everything's back to normal again. Um, Interesting. And, and you know, yeah, and, and you know, it, it, if I'm crossing a boundary there, I'm sorry, but it, it is what it is. And, and most people know that to be a fact, you know, but, uh, I think that's out there. Like, yeah. I think yeah, that is yeah. out there. Yeah. So yeah. now it's a lot easier to deal with stuff. And, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you, you put me in a position where, uh, I love it because I, it makes me feel uncomfortable. And, and when, when I feel uncomfortable, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing because it kind of, you know, it pushes, you know, if I came at you and I, and, uh, Pando and I was saying, you know, where, where do you get your, uh, ideas to get your content and how, you know, you have a very natural style. And I think I gravitate towards people who who have a natural ability to do what they do. And and you're not trying to sell me anything, you know. I like to be involved with with uh, things that are like that. And for the guys, it was never. It's never like, well, what are you? Okay, velvet revolver. Let's place your order. What are we ordering today? You want chocolate, <laughs> vanilla, strawberry. What kind of bread? <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, it was. I showed up and, and it worked out and. Uh, very easy to deal with, um, you know, just so happened to be it with those guys. Uh, timing was definitely, you know, I've always, I've, I don't know, I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky. I'm very blessed. I've always been at the, you know, the right place at the right time. And, and now that I look back at things, it's like the grunge era versus, you know, one of the things I wanted to mention was, was when Guns first went to Europe. The first time they went uh, on Appetite and they were breaking they were over there and they were breaking really big. They had nothing going on in the States yet. Uh, they came back, uh, back from the UK and they started booking shows here and they were selling out. Uh, I think it was right around the time sweet child was starting to hit on MTV. Hmm. And, uh, and so they, they, we had a place in Pasadena. Fuck. I can't remember the name of the place. Uh, um, Anyhow, they booked one show, it sold out. They booked another show, it sold out. And, and every all my friends were opening up. A junkyard opened one night, Faster Pussycats on one night. They booked a third night. And I'm like, if they book 
you know, the second night sold out, and I said, if they book a third night, we have to get on that bill. So I called my manager, and, uh, oh, we got a Harley guy passing by. Hang on. <laughs> and so, uh. Where, where are you right now? Like, are you out, outside? Uh, I, was, I was hanging out at Starbucks for a second. Okay. Right on. And, uh, just so we get a nice visual. Yeah, yeah, uh, just doing some stuff. But anyhow, so the third this third show comes up, and I, you know, uh, at the time we had Howie managing us, and Howie managed Poison. Howie had original money. Do you know who Howie Huberman is? Sure, he's been on the show as well. Yeah, you had him, didn't you? Absolutely. You had him on. He was That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, he's a dear, 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 dear friend of mine. Um, great guy, man. He's, he's, you know. So anyhow, Howie had just been managing Poison, and he had he had. Uh, handed them off to a bigger management company. And so we hooked up with Howie and we were playing around and we were getting really great gigs. Howie wouldn't let us on. He didn't think we were ready yet to, to open for guns. And uh, so, the, you know, the third show happens. And then I find out Junkyard's on the bill. And I'm like, fucking, ugh. I was pissed off, right? We don't get the show. And I'm like, man, this is fucking, ugh. Then I find out there's going to be a fourth show. And I'm like, okay, look, come hell or high fucking water, we're on that show. We're on that show. So, you know, we had to pull some really horrible stuff on our end and, and switch management <laughs> to get on that show. Okay. But we did it. We did it. <laughs> you know, and uh, so we got on that show. And, and, you know, from that night on, like, I, I just remember the energy in the room. was It was insanity. I mean, you know, I never got to see Zeppelin. Or, uh, you know, I've seen, I mean, anything that I can say that, that, that can hold any type of a candle to the kind of energy that they would bring in would be like, you know, fuck, Tina Turner, when you're in a room when she's playing, Elton mm. John. And, and everybody knows that now, but for me, you know, to actually be in a room and to feel that energy, and, and these are your friends from the neighborhood, and they create a little band that goes off to do this thing. It's just like, you know, and then I'm putting clothes on it, and, uh, you know, Right, you you were involved in, in in different phases of the the mm-hmm. evolution of this band. You know, actually mm-hmm. knowing them, you know, drawing with, with Slash like, like like kids do. Uh, but right. you know, when was he Saul at the time, or was he Slash that young? When no, he wasn't. There was no Slash until uh, you know Axel, I guess, came up with this at some point or something. But so you you, you knew him as Saul. Uh, obviously, later on, you're, you're you kind of see them at their infancy where they're starting out. They're breaking big. You, this kid, this person you you knew as a, as a, a childhood friend, is becoming super famous, or at right. least uh, on their way to be the next big thing. And then years later, when he's already established, he's already you know a rock and roll hall of famer. I don't I don't think literally at the time, but he was on the path to be a rock and roll hall of famer. And you're dressing them, so you really right. are. You know, coming in and out of that life, and it's it's really fascinating. And that's only part of your story. It doesn't it doesn't count everything else that you've experienced and the other people that you've worked with. So that I mean, that in itself is is interesting. <laughs> I mean, I, I look at it. You know, it's like I had mentioned. You know, Mark, like Mark Canner is a very big, big part of of the history of the success of Guns N' Roses. I mean, if there was no Mark Canner, there'd be, you know, it would have definitely been a lot harder for them to. To, to be who they are today. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he, and, and he takes very little credit, very, you know, sure. He put out a book and he's done a lot of things and, and he's, 
you know, knows more information about that band than anybody on this earth. But it, but uh, he, you know, he did a lot for them. He was the first guy to pay for their ads, you know, in the local papers. He, I think he helped Slash get his first amps, you know, and, and uh, some things, you know, for me, it, it's, it's kind of weird. Like when you see these super rock star guys and, and, you know, the majority of it is, yeah, they're, they're very humble and cool, but uh, I don't know. So I, I try to grab from that perspective and, you know, keep things real for, for what they are um, as opposed, like I've never seen them in, in, I've never seen guns at any stadium, you know, I, the only shows that I've ever seen them at would be like, I saw them at the Troubadour when they were, you know, they weren't super huge. And then I saw them at Perkins Palace. That's a place in Pasadena, and there was maybe 2,000 people there. But, I mean, when they came back and they were opening for the Stones and all these Aerosmith stories, I, it was just too big at that point, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, it's... I um, Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I... Like I say, you know, I've had a lot of, of really amazing opportunities. Um, there's certain guys that I never want to meet, you know? I never want to meet Richie Blackmore. I never want to meet Jimmy Page. I never... Because I, I really hold them to a level of, uh, like, Eddie Van Halen. I fucking love Eddie Van Halen. I'd never want to meet Eddie. Mm, I know what you mean. You know? yeah. they, I just they, don't, they... man. I, I, I need them to be that person. It, like, when I was a kid, you know, and in my room and trying to play that shit on the guitar, like, those are the memories I want to have. Sure. You need them to be that, that mythical figure. It has to be. It has to be, man. If you because you know, when you start taking away that magic... It's just it, the whole house falls down. Yeah, yeah, I, I get a little bit taste of that doing this podcast. <laughs> the more I learn, yeah, yeah. but no, if anything, while the mystique has been taken away a little bit, just for me, it was again. I'm speaking for myself. I yeah. I've really come to love how human every single member. You know, not just of the the obvious Appetite Five, but of all the the side characters. Uh, not to yeah. you know diminish anybody into like a, a Simpson Millhouse or Chief Wiggum character, but all these beloved right. side side characters, how human and they, how close, close we all are. Kind of uh, our paths are the same. I mean, some are obviously more public. You know, we get to yeah. more, we get to have more public people in our life, but yeah, at, yeah. at the end of the day, we're all kind of the same in flesh and blood and we all kind of have the, the same trials and tribulations and uh that part of it i think i appreciate more um you know i don't i don't want to i don't want to get too old and still idolize guys in leather pants i, I got right, right right right, right. <laughs> i mean you know the, the beauty of it is it's like you know like hendrix growing up i i never was a fan of of jimmy you know oddly to say i and uh over the last you know, probably 15 years, especially the last 10 years, you know, I have a tattoo of Jimmy on my arm. Like I have a tattoo, whatever he's incorporated into it on the back of the t-shirt on a character on my arm. And, and my buddy that gave me the tattoo, you know, he drew it up, he did it. And I thought it was great. Oh, that's, that's cute. Cool. Whatever. You know, all these years later, it's like, fuck, you know, Jimmy <laughs> was like, Oh my God. You know, I mean, I see it now a lot of people saw it a long time ago. It took me a minute to figure it out. And, and I mean, that's how it is, but I know Jimmy's brother, Leon, you know, Leon tries to play the guitar. He's a hangs out around Hollywood and, uh, it's not the same. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Leon Hendrix. 
It, yeah. it almost sounds like you're making that up. You know how? You know, what was Jesus's brother like? You know, Joe Christ. It's just like one of those. <laughs> that, that, that's what I'm talking about. It's like you know, it, and that's the beauty I think about Hollywood. It's it, like you say. You know, there's some stories that need to be told, and um, you know, I, I would love to have a chance to tell some of those stories. And I don't, you know, your interview is the first interview I've done probably. Uh, in, in more than 20 years. Wow. I don't do it. Oh. I don't do it. Well, you I, know, and, and <laughs> I mean, thank you for saying yes. That, that that means a lot that, you know, we asked and you were pretty receptive right away and to also have uh, Ray included on the on the call. and Ray is cool. Ray <laughs> just loves hanging out and, and listening and, and, and laughing. That's that's Ray is my Ed McMahon uh, on this. But you got to yeah. you got to have these kind of guys. I mean, it's it, you know people that have a true love for what you do, and and me as well. You know, I think I, I listened in uh, to one and then another one and another one. I'm like, oh, this guy's cool. And then I saw your photo, and I feel like you're doing it for real. You're not a guy in his bedroom trying to fucking get some views to make some money on YouTube. No. I don't think. I, make, you know? I don't make yeah. any money. I make money from my actual radio job. No, but, but yeah. you know, what I'm trying to say is I think you're taking it seriously where, you know, so many people are doing stuff. YouTube, you know, who was I talking to? Uh, a buddy of mine the other day, and, and, you know, he's a developer, and he's into real estate, and whatever, you know, and he's got a band. He has a project that he's doing, and he's funny because, we were we just touched on it and he's like you gotta have a youtube channel and this and that and everything else and i was like man like i get it i was there when the curve happened and that's why i think i was able to you know early 2000 the model of doing clothing and having a clothing line you had to have sales reps you had to be in showrooms you had to pay fees you know there was a lot of stuff that was kind of a textbook way of getting orders and that all changed, you know, and, and luckily at, we were at the curb and I was like, you know what, fuck the sales rep, you know, a thousand dollars a month just to be hanging in a showroom where they're not writing you any orders. And I'm like, I would come in there and they would, I'd ask, how did they, what's going on? You know, and they'd say, yeah, we wrote $1,200 this month. And I'm like, go fuck yourself. That's not going <laughs> to work. That's not working. I know. So we went, you know, we, we were uh, there and we got to change the model a little bit and you know, we're busy. I mean, the truth of the matter is we're a very small establishment. A lot of people think that, you know, we're, we're this grandiose thing and we got a bunch of people, you know, I I have a girlfriend of mine or just a friend from school and she keeps asking me, how many people do you have working for you? And I'm like, what kind of question is that to ask somebody? Like how many, what? Like, and, and finally I told her, I'm like, we subcontract when we have to, like, what, what does that have to do with anything? So, to learn about your your business, I don't know. If, as long as she didn't ask ask about your like your social security number, I guess you're okay. Yeah, but. I, I gave it to her. Well, where because you're 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 big on Twitter at uh, Mark for Sean L A. And right. where like what are you working on now? Uh, I mean, obviously, I guess clothing. But is there any? specific project or is there anything that you want to tell us anything any place that we can look up uh past work current work and, and future work what's the best way to find mark mark for sean right, so right now we're you know i'm working on just new pieces 
And uh, part of the, you know, I just don't really go, I've never been one to follow the rules. So even when, when we had a showroom, everything is seasonal and it goes by collections and, and certain times of the year, winter, spring, summer, fall, and, you know, colors, everything is, I just, I like to do it the way I like to do it. Um, we've had stores in the past. I'm definitely interested in, and, you know, having a retail store, uh, I just had a great meeting with a partner the other day and he's telling me that's not a good idea right now. The economy is shit. Um, so I'm really just watching and, and trying to, you know, feel what the next right thing is going to be. Uh, so is it all out of your I, house now? Well, no, no, no. I've always had a studio. Okay. A private studio where, you know, where I sew. And so what I'll do is... Uh, I have a few stores, you know, around in town that I deal with and, and sell through. Um, I'll post stuff on my website. You know, it's just, it's, uh, it's getting to be holiday. We're getting really close. So around this time, you know, we, we wrap up and, um, get stuff ready. And, uh, I, I would have liked to have tried to have had a store open, you know, for holiday. I just don't see it. I don't think it's going to happen. It's just not feeling right. I mean, everything is online nowadays anyway. I mean, it's cool to have like a destination because someone like Ray, you know, didn't you spend your vacation recently visiting all these landmarks in L.A.? Uh, Yeah, I did. I was there in March. Uh, uh, Staying staying right on the Sunset Strip. It was ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is is why, you know, part of my my gripe with my partner was, uh, you know, you've got to have a place especially with me where people can come in and, and touch it and feel it and try it on. So, yeah. you know, I think we will have a spot. I have my eye on a couple of places. Um, but my focus I think is right now, you know, God, it's just so crazy for me. When we were starting out, there was a, a little uh, brand where I used to go and get my labels made and giant place downtown and they make labels for everybody and so i i walk in and i see and the label is a little buddha and the, on the buddha it says true religion and I, i'm like true religion this is really cool i wonder what this is like what's bad religion gonna think of true religion right. you know and so uh <laughs> you know lo and behold it was a guy that i had known we had done trade shows together uh he had a couple of other brands before he was selling fabric he was a denim sales guy he went put together the denim line true religion and uh he starts uh you know doing the trade shows he blows up this thing and you know it, and everybody knows the rest is history he ended up selling the company for 980 million dollars um so one of my things that i've always really wanted to do is, is have a staple you know and really make my brand a little more uh kind of welcome in, in households around you know not not everybody in in, in uh Everybody in America can wear a pair of low-waisted, you know, hip-hugger, bell-bottom. <laughs> like, right. the maid's not going to be wearing, you know, the uh, babysitter or the, you know. I, I need to make stuff that's a little more friendly to, to everybody. And so I'm working on trying to do a collection that, that, you know, I think is a little bit more for everybody. Sure, like more universal that, you know, it, it's not... Uh, yeah. Pigeon Hell took us one thing. You don't have to 
you don't have to look like you're an 80s punk rock band, uh, but you have a, a nice variety of things I mean, in that's, style. That's just a, yeah, we were fortunate, you know, and then everybody, obviously, they want, like, what is that Flash is wearing? And what is that jacket he's wearing? And then it was like the pants Scott's wearing and the thing Duff's wearing. And so, you know, we spent a lot of years doing that. Like, oh, cool, we're going to recreate this. You know, and, and I mean, primarily, I was doing a lot of women's pants. Like, before, what happened is Scott was buying the women's pants. And he, for me, was like single-handedly the guy who I saw take that pant, start wearing it. And so when I saw that, I said, okay, Scott, here's what we're going to do. I used to work, a friend of mine, is, is uh, her name's Ellen. She has a company called Ape Leather. She was one of the very first people to start doing punk rock belts, you know, in, in the 70s. And, and so all these belts that you see with the pyramid belts and the ring belts and all that shit like Sid was wearing, Ellen's been doing this forever. Ellen was the first job I ever had. I was making belts for Ellen. Hmm. So getting together with Scott, I said, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to make this really cool. We're going to take these pants and we're going to put a pyramid belt on it. That's something nobody's done ever before. And, and he was kind of, you know, I was amused for that. I took that, I put it on him, and he ran with that look. And it... I mean, it, it obviously, it worked. As, as Ray said, it impacted him, it impacted me. You know, when growing up on, on uh, Guns N' Roses, I, at, at first, I grew my hair, hair longer to kind of be like a Jewish Axl Rose. I was like Axl Rosenberg. Uh, but, but then when my hair started thinning, I couldn't do that. Then, but right. when, when Velvet came out, I'm like Scott. He just looks so cool. Even the way his tattoos are, uh, yeah. I, that's how I kind of do mine with the just the sleeves and not much too much uh, around it. I mean, and that and again, that's that's the truth, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it's I, it's I, no, sorry, no. You can go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, I I envision. You know, I I've never met Axel. Um, I, I'm not opposed, obviously, to meeting Axel. And I, I know, you know, a lot of people who I, I love his energy. It's fucking crazy. He has crazy energy. I know so many artists, um, like Scott had a little bit of that, but Axel almost is so vibrant that it's like fucking, what would the word be? Do you understand? Like, like if you were to interview him, it's like, what would you ask him? <laughs> now, I'm sure you could figure it out, but... You know, for me to go put clothes on the guy would be a different story because I, I you know, it's what I do and it would it would be pretty easy to, to do it. So, I mean, I, hopefully it happens because, again, you have just quite a collection and it's not just for the GNR fan because if you follow uh, Mark Bashan on, on Twitter, again, Mark Bashan LA, oh, cool. you can nice. see... You know, the, the the hats that he's talking about. You can see a lot of leather jackets that Slash has worn, uh, even down to the Izzy's hat uh, that, that you right. make. And even some uh, out-of-the-box stuff that you posted. Uh, it was a cool hat that Eddie Murphy wears in his new movie, right. uh, Dolmite. So it's a, it's quite a collection. And again, it's it, you're not just selling it to you know friends of yours that that made it these people are searching you out Mariah Carey happened to buy yeah. your pants Scott right. Weiland bought your pants before you worked with him so it's just a testament to your work and you know then again people wanting to work with you as a person so it's only going to continue and I don't know how it gets bigger and better for you but I believe it's going to That's awesome thank you You got it uh and Ray before we let uh Mark go and oh actually before we uh, throw off to Ray. You're always welcome back, 
Mark, by the way. I know this has been oh, your, thank you. your your first interview in, in a couple decades, but if you ever want to do uh, be in Ray's uh, seat, perhaps you want to chime in a little more. I'm just giving Ray nice. uh, so, <laughs> a nice ribbing. <laughs> but you could play co-host and you could bring on you know somebody else that is in our Guns N' Roses orb or Velvet Revolver orb, uh, but you're always sure. welcome back. But uh, that being said, Ray, do you have any... Uh, Questions uh, for Mark before you go to bed? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, no, no real questions. It was just more just like one of the the first concert I ever went to was was Velvet Revolver, and I was oh, wow. right at the front, right in front of her slashes, and I was I was four, fourteen or fifteen, and as the lights came booming on, Slash was there, and he was wearing that jacket that I was talking about earlier, oh, wow. and it was just it was wow. such a huge thing, and it's still like I can still picture it like it happened yesterday, and it was all That's to do great. with that just not just slash but it was the look and everything and it was just it was so important to me being that age and just discovering sort of rock and roll properly and, and I mean, it changed that everything a see that's awesome and thank you that, that, yeah. that, Ray that's your I think your major contribution to being a part of uh, the, the episode today uh, because I want Mark, <laughs> I, I jokingly, and I'm happy that you're here. Your energy is here, Ray. But just yeah. uh, sorry, man. I never, I never like to, you know, interrupt when people are on a roll. I don't feel feel like I'm, just, I also sometimes forget I'm even here because, oh. like, it's like I'm just listening to the episode sometimes. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but you can always tell me to shut up going forward. Same for you, Mark. Just tell me to shut up. Uh, but it, it just goes to show you that your your work only enhanced. You know the uh, the music that we love, and I think that's that's right. something special because there are, you know, just like Velvet Revolver was at that time, it's like there were no rock bands, and that's what made them even more special. There's not much today, but uh, I think it's great that your work could be seen everywhere in so many different genres. So uh, again, uh, you. you're always welcome back, and I believe I played this soundbite for Ray, but uh, Mark Vachon, you are officially. You're a bad apple. That's what we call it. <laughs> so, nice. so uh, again, thank you so much for your, your time. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure we'll do this again. All right, buddy. Thank you for having me. And, and it was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Cheers, Mark. Bye-bye. Thank you, Ray. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ray, thank you again for your, your time. You know, I, I yeah. like that because you're... You are a listener, you know, kind of getting lost in the episode. And I do appreciate that. And I... I uh, I can tell because from your reactions, when you're laughing, when you gasp, or you're like right, and you're just kind of, you know, short I'm responses. I'm always telling myself that I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak more <laughs> <laughs> after every time, and I'm just like, and then a couple of times I'll say something, and the conversation sort of changed a little bit. Oh, like that doesn't really fit anymore. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> no, it's your energy. That's what I, I always appreciate, and I know uh, you are a fan of his work, and you're the reason why I connected with Mark. He, yeah. not, he I wouldn't have thought to. You know, maybe down the road, but he certainly wasn't uh, yeah, on my radar. Was, I think it was Billy Rowe mentioned him as well when he was on. Okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I remember. I remember. I remember when he mentioned. I'm sure it was Billy Rowe that mentioned him. I'm thinking, oh, he would be a great guest. You you know my uh, show better than I do. Well, I've listened <laughs> to everyone. So, <laughs> well, Ray, thank you uh, a lot. That 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 means. That means uh, a lot to me. You know, uh, you're just one of, as I told Mark, one of the perks that have come along with doing this podcast, getting to meet really cool people uh, just from different walks of life and just finding out you have things in common. So yeah. uh, thanks for hanging out today, buddy, and go get some sleep. Yeah, man, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. So that does it for episode 158 of Appetite for Distortion. Thanks for hanging out, whether you find, found us through AlternativeNation.net, the iHeartRadio app, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts. 
uh, Spotify. Honestly, you can just Google Appetite for Distortion Podcast, and you will find other platforms that we are on. Uh, CastBox, uh, I believe, actually, we are now on Deezer, D-E-E-Z-E-R. A lot of different uh, podcast platforms. So whatever your preferred way of listening is, as long as you listen. Uh, Thanks. So until next time, when will you see the next episode of the AFD show? Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. Security, I'm going home.